Luke chapter 3, verse 15 and following. When Kenny was teaching on Wednesday night, he talked about the different uh, genres of literature in the Bible, the different styles, manner of writing. The book of Luke is called a gospel as the, uh, the type of literature it is. And we know that the word gospel is a word that comes in, into our language but has the meaning of good news. As we read in Luke chapter 3 this morning, we'll read a historical account in other words, we're, we're reading of events that took place in, in times gone by, years gone by. But this is not a history book. It's not a history book. It is a gospel. And so it is a historical account with a theological purpose. Historical account with an intent that you would hear from God, that you would hear of God. And in this historical account, we encounter two prophets, two prophets who are distinguished from each other in a very certain and powerful way. The lesser of the two prophets preparing the way for the one greater who is said to come to separate all people into one of two depths. Separate all people into one of two immersions, in Bible words, into one of two baptisms. This is a very unpopular idea, a very unpopular theological truth, very unpopular biblical standard. Yet, we don't mind separating people into different categories. I mean, even as I say that, a number of examples come into your mind. And regardless of the ones that I identify as those that we choose to separate people into, there will be others that, that you will think of because it is so common that we very willingly, perhaps even unknowingly at times, but we certainly separate people into a number of different categories. And yet, it is so very unpopular that God would do so. And there's the point. So as we read this morning, oh yeah, the three questions. We put up the questions to help guide you in our response time that you would have a an idea of the manner in which a response to this text would be helpful. So we're going to ask, what was John's message? What was Jesus' mission? And what is God's appeal to the world that he makes through his church? So we read then from Luke chapter 3, beginning at verse 15, and I'll read through verse 20. As the people were in expectation, and all were questioning in their hearts concerning John, whether he might be the Christ, 
John answered them all, saying, I baptize you with water, but he who is mightier than I is coming, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. So with many other exhortations he preached good news to the people. But Herod the Tetrarch, who had been reproved by, reproved by him for Herodias, his brother's wife, and for all the evil things that Herod had done, added this to them all, and he locked up John in prison. The people were in expectation. Expectation is a good thing. You think about the times, the ways, the things that you have lived in expectation of, and you know that what you're doing is you're looking forward, you're anticipating, you're expecting something good, something that will bring you some, some joy, some happiness, some satisfaction, some fulfillment. And so it was that these people who were listening to John were living in expectation of the Christ. John was, was drawing big crowds, crowds coming out into the wilderness to hear his message, to respond to his message, to repent according to that which John was preaching. And John was a good preacher. People listened. People responded. John had an effective message an effective delivery. And so people were impressed by John. And they were in expectation of the promised Messiah, the one whom the prophets had, had promised to, to Israel throughout the ages that God would send a Savior, that God would send that one who would once again restore Israel to its greatness that it had enjoyed, experienced in the days of King David, a leader who would save his people. And their expectation was that this promised one of God would throw out the hated Romans and exalt Israel among all the nations. And so they were in expectation. And this, this very, very good, very impressive, very effective preacher, they had to wonder, is he the promised one? Is he the Christ? Is he the Messiah? John responds. John responds to their expectation by denying that he is the Christ and telling them, but yes, they should continue in their expectation for there is coming another. There's coming another man. And John tells them that whatever's good, whatever's wise, whatever's hopeful, whatever's impressive about John... He tells them, there's a man greater than me, a man mightier than me that you should be expecting. For John says, I'm baptizing in water according to the, the traditions of Judaism. 
a symbol, a, a washing away of your sin, of calling you to, to turn away from sin and turn toward righteousness and goodness and decency. You heard last Sunday as Pastor Ben preached and giving them the, the ethical answer to how they should be living. But he says there is one coming whose baptism will not be symbolic. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor to gather the wheat into the barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. The baptism of the one to come, the baptism of the one they should expect, the baptism of the one that is God's appointed, God's anointed, God's promised Christ, the Messiah, his baptism would not be symbolic, but rather he will immerse you either in the Holy Spirit or in fire. And John uses an agricultural illustration to drive home this point. I was pastoring a small rural church in Kentucky a number of years ago. The great majority of the members, attenders, were, were farm families. They all lived on farms. And, uh, and I told them very early on in my ministry in that pulpit, I said, when you hear Bill start using a farm illustration, you can be pretty sure he's fixing to make a fool out of himself. That was not, that was not a community that was not a community to, to explain farming to. Uh, but here, the people to whom John is speaking are a people who understand this is a very real and very meaningful illustration to them in their lives in that day. The wheat was grown in the field. It was harvested, brought in in sheaves. And then the, the, the heads of wheat were, were beaten on a stone that would then release the, the seed, the kernels, right, of wheat from the heads of the stalk. And uh, they would fall onto that stone, which was called the threshing floor. Now this was also the, the, the wheat kernels are there, and then the stalks, the dry stalks that are of no food value. And they used a, a winnowing fork. Uh, we would think of a pitchfork, sort of looking out a bit. And, uh, and they would drive this in through this pile of uh, uh, wheat and stems or chaff on the floor, drive it in. Well, they pick it up. Well, the, the wheat kernels, right, they're going to they're gonna stay there. They're going to fall back on the floor. And what they gather with the fork is, is the chaff, the stems. They throw them off, pile them up. The wheat, they gather in, right? This is, this is the good stuff. This is that which is of value to them. The stems, the chaff, of no value. And so what do they do with it? They burn it up. This is an illustration these people understand. And this is an illustration to be understood, 
to describe the purpose for which Christ came into the world. He is the one who separates. He is the one who divides that which God will save for that which is of value to him. He is the one who will separate that which is of no value to God, which will then later be tossed into the fire. Christ is divisive. Not a popular doctrine. Not one that is readily accepted, believed. He separates. He divides. He distinguishes the wheat from the chaff. Christ did not come into the world to condemn the world. John chapter 3, verse 17 and following. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. The very salvation that Christ brings and so freely offers to all is what condemns and blows away the rejected as chaff to be thrown into the fire. Christ, an offense to many. They hear, they know, they understand And in that knowledge, in that understanding, they are offended. Jesus was preaching to a large crowd, recorded in John chapter 6. Jesus said, It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is of no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. But there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who those were who did not believe and who it was who would betray him. And Jesus said, This is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted by by the Father. After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. This, uh, this event is presented to us in the Gospel of John as immediately following on the occasion of Jesus turning a few fish and a little bit of bread into enough to feed over 5,000 people. Now that's a great miracle. You want to talk about impressive. You want to talk about effective. With, with meaning, with power, with, with might. And then Jesus preaches to them 
faith, belief, repentance, accepting him. And they said, that's all well and good. We're all into that religious stuff. But make us another meal. That's what we're in it for. Just, just fix us some more fish and bread. We'll be with you. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. And it is the one who eats of my body and drinks my blood will have life not only in this day, but throughout all of eternity. And it was this that caused the great multitude to turn away from Jesus and follow him no more. The truth, the gospel, the good news is so offensive to so many. They hear, they know, they understand, and are offended. They reject him and turn away. So with many other exhortations, John preached good news to the people. What John was preaching was repentance. What John was preaching was good news. John was calling, contrary to the motivations of human emotion, turn away from your rebellion and unbelief and turn to obedience, the faith, the truth, the good news in God's Word. Obedience, faith in the coming One, Jesus Christ, for He is the path to true life. He is the good news of forgiveness. But Herod, the Tetrarch, the big guy, who had, repro- who had been reproved by him for Herodias, his brother's wife, and for all the evil things that Herod had done, added this to them all that he locked up John in prison. You know, some people, some people just can't hear good news. Some people just, just refuse to hear good news. I'm passing up a number of illustrations there. Y'all can go with your own. Herod, he was the tetrarch the governor, ruler, that area where John was preaching. But all that this guy Herod the Tetrarch was was a lackey. He was the lackey of Caesar Augustus, the, the Caesar, uh, the king, the ruler over the Roman Empire. And he had been placed in his position uh, at, uh, at Caesar's behest. Caesar thought... He was God. As a matter of fact, Caesar told everybody that he was God and that they needed to to believe he was God, needed to worship him as God. Caesar says, I'm God. Herod probably thought he was God. He didn't make a big deal out of it because Caesar had the bigger army. 
this is, this is nothing out of the ordinary. This is typical, pretty standard, both then and now. Most people think that they are God, but they don't make a big deal out of it, except when they're in a position to overpower others. This was exactly, this was the very issue that John was addressing. Repent. This was what John was preaching. Repent. Not just acknowledging your sinfulness, not just confessing your sin, not just feeling sorry or apologizing, not just make compensation or do penance, but repent. Get off of that throne of your life. Get off of that throne that makes you a sinner in your assumption that you're God and humbly bow to the one true God. The true God whom you have offended by your arrogance, self-exaltation that you have offended by placing yourself on the throne of your own life. The purpose for which John was born was to prepare the way for Jesus. John proclaimed loudly to all the people, the king is coming. Bow before him. Hail him with honor, glory, and praise. Turn away from the usurpers, the false kings, the phonies who claim their thrones with lies and fake authority. For the king is coming. The king who would come with true authority. The authority as the son of God. Authority to deal with those who are truly his subjects. And authority to deal with those who would refuse to bow to him. The one he will immerse, he will baptize in the very Spirit of God. The other will be baptized in fire. This message has not changed lo these many years. The good news is still good news. The good news is still heard to say repent and turn to the promised one of God, Jesus Christ. His mission is the same. He separates the wheat from the chaff, believers from unbelievers. There are only two possibilities. Jesus said, Enter by the narrow gate, For the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow, the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. I do not say that repentance is easy. It's not easy to reject your own feelings, 
your own sense of accountability, your your own sense of control over your life, doing what what I want to do, being who I want to be. It's not easy to accept the truth, the truth from God. It's not easy to let go of self-will and follow God's will. God's will that you accept His Son, that you believe in His Son, that you trust in His Son, Jesus Christ believing in all that He has said, believing in all that He has done, His life, His death, His resurrection, and His promised return. Not easy. The way is hard. Perhaps impossible. They were exceedingly astonished and said to Him, then who can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, With man it is impossible, but not with God. For all things are possible with God. Amen. The good news John was preaching was that Jesus would baptize with the Holy Spirit. All things are possible with God. It is the presence, the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit that calls us to repentance. It is the Holy Spirit which grants the faith that we might believe in Jesus Christ, repenting of sin and self. And it is the abiding Holy Spirit which perpetuates that hope that promise of life eternal. John proclaimed that Jesus would come on a mission to separate the wheat from the chaff, baptizing his elect in the Holy Spirit and baptizing unbelievers in fire. The Apostle Paul was to write, He who has prepared us for this very thing is God who has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, making His appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. As John was given the mission of proclaiming the coming Christ, preaching repentance, we have been given a like mission proclaiming Christ has come and preaching the good news of salvation by grace through faith in that most glorious name, Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. We implore you, on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Father, we praise you and give you thanks for the power of your word and the presence of your Holy Spirit. Grant that which is pleasing to you, O Lord, among these, your people, for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.